Louise Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. I want to go back to the first time. The first time you and I met. You remember the first time, don't you? That lovely moonlit night, the rose... Oh no, hold on. Wrong conversation. Look back to the beginning. I told you then, football people I admire, football people I like listening to, football people who I want to tell me stories that I'm curious about. But I also said, people who make me laugh. And for that reason, here's Kevin. Why Kevin Bridges? Well, it's like this. We timed the issue of this podcast to be around the Champions League final in Berlin between Juventus and Barcelona. Kevin and I met in Barcelona. He's a real Barcelona fanatic. The city, the lifestyle, but also the football club. He made his debut at a Clásico with me in the 5-0 game when Jose Mourinho was also in his debut as a Clásico manager for Real Madrid. Since then, we've been to many Clásicos and I don't think Kevin has seen the team he supports, Barcelona, lose one yet. So the concept was to begin him to talk about the Blaugrana and try and explain his passion for them. What happened next, of course, was he turns out to be somebody who's played for Jose Mourinho, somebody who was kicked out of school for going to watch Celtic play in Sevilla against Porto, managed by Jose Mourinho. Kevin also turns out to be somebody who has scored a worldy, a world-class goal past Edwin van der Sar, then taken grief off van der Sar for doing so and giving it back in this podcast too. Kevin explains to us just exactly how he got to stain Henrik Larsson's trousers. He explains about an accusation he and his dad make to Alex Ferguson about Fergie headbutting a Celtic player. It can't be true, can it? Kev tells that story too. There's more in there. His fascination for Argentinian football, his trip to watch River Plate play Boca Juniors, his need to go back for San Lorenzo, stories about Sevilla getting there, the adventures he gets up to, all the Jose Mourinho anecdotes you could ever wish. This is a brilliant comic artist, a a magical stand-up, brilliant storyteller, somebody who's about to embark on a huge record-breaking European tour in the winter and autumn. I will be there. This is your chance to hear him in action when what he's doing is talking about his second passion after comedy, which is football. You're going to enjoy this, believe me. See you at the other side. One thing that unites us is that we're both sort of really excited about football. Football makes us happy. And one thing that I've never asked you but I want to know is what about Spanish football? What made you excited about Spanish football? How did you discover it? What made your regard for Barcelona be so high, which is where we met? Why Barcelona and its football? And from when? From what age? I love Barcelona. And I probably getting Sky in the house in 1996 or 97, something like that. And it, Spanish football was always on in the Sunday nights. And me and my dad would watch it. And I, I never had an English team, mm-hmm. which is people find quite strange and maybe a bit of a soft spot for like Man United with the Celtic Man U connection but I never really embraced an English club but watching the Spanish games I used to love Ronaldo original mm. Ronaldo I don't agree with people calling him Fat Ronaldo how disrespectful is that? it's, it's, it's Fat Ronaldo that's, that's an accepted term 
There's Ronaldo and there's Cristiano Ronaldo. We should make that clear. Nicely done. So Ronaldo, I loved watching the guy that speed him. The first time you'd ever seen him to try a step over, and then I loved watching that team. So at that stage, when you're watching him, he's at Barcelona. He was at Barca. I this would be '95. In from '96, '97, he played in that Bobby Robson team. And, you know, I remember I hadn't been working in Spanish at all. And I was doing what you, I was doing exactly what you were doing. I was living in Britain and I was turning on this guy and going, I can't believe what I see. And I remember Ronaldo doing things I'd literally never seen him. I was probably nine or ten, so you're, you're too young to appreciate maybe yeah. an Iniesta or a Xavi role. But he was just a guy who scored every single week stepovers. I think his boots were even like white. This is back when black boots were kind of regimentally enforced. So it was mm-hmm. a guy with different colour of boots on. And uh, amazing to watch. After Ronaldo, obviously, there was Rivaldo. Mm. And then Barca just always seemed to have a guy that was... You'd get his name in the back of your shirt. I remember buying the fake... Well, my mum and dad getting me the fake Barca strips on holiday with the name on the back and then Ronaldinho. And just... Again, my dad was always... He'll probably not admit this these days, but he used to love Real Madrid. So me and him would have a bit of an internal domestic rivalry, Barca-Madrid. I think he loved them for like, the De Stefano years. He grew up watching guys like that. But then, I think you've seen how much I really took to Barca and started to read a bit of story about how they represented the Catalan people. I don't know, it was probably the only history that I actually mm. stuck in it at school, mm. reading that sort of stuff. That's always so, appealed to Scots, is not it? The, the I, I don't Catalans know, I against the... even so young, I was just interested in that story because I'd seen banners saying Catalonia is not Spain. And I'm going, well, Barcelona is Spain. Mm. What are they talking about? Mm. And then you'd start reading behind that and then just go, right, this club, I've got a bit of a sort of identity. And so I'd maybe be 12 or 13 when I sort of took that side into it as well. You were I, into I sold my da- I just to mention my dad since he's a he's a, bar- he's a, he's a coolie these days, he's bought an it. But I was going to mention your dad because having met your dad, I understand now why you feel what you feel about football because he's got a terrific eye for football. And I bet it must have been a lot of fun watching Barcelona or Real Madrid, whoever, in Spanish football with him. Because he understands it and he's passionate about it. And he loves, I think he loves quality. Aye, he watches any game, any night you go in, as long as my mom's keeping herself occupied, the telly will be on, will be watching something, any sort of game at all. What amazed me, right, was um, I'd done a, a gig for Manchester United, it was Alex Ferguson's 25th anniversary dinner, and he, he'd asked if I would come on and do like a stand-up set. So obviously I said to my mum and dad, look, do you want to come down to Manchester for this gig? And I arranged it so my dad could meet Fergie. My dad said that, he, he said, Fergie reminds my dad a lot of his, his own dad, like my granda John. Really? Kind of old school Glasgow uh-huh. ship worker sort of thing. And uh, so I introduced the two of them. Look, Fergie had come over to thank me for coming down to the, I'm just going, I can't even believe he's even talking to me, mate, but mm. this is my dad. The two of them sort of, they had to off straight away. My dad pulled them up for he'd button Bobby Murdoch. <laughs> right away. I think Fergie was laughing because there's no like, facade or with Alex Ferguson. I think he's still very much governed guy and I think he loved a bit of that. Like My dad gave him a bit of grief right away. So the two of them began to talk about juniors. My dad was saying he used to go and watch the Toker Hibs juniors. And then Fergie's going, oh, they had a great left half or whatever, no, the old guy positions, left, inside right or whatever they're calling it. And he's going, and what was his name? And my dad said the name. Then Fergie's going, and he went to East Fife, didn't he? And then, who was the goalkeeper? And the two of them are just like, Ferguson's PAs trying to drag him away to go and like, start the event. But he's too busy going, that's going to annoy me the whole night now. What was his name? <laughs> You're just going, it's amazing to see him bringing his football right back to that level and, and for just how long ago it was as well, considering the guys coached Rooney, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, all these David Beckham superstars. And to see how much he'd moved on with the game. I think my dad's very much like that. He admires modern football. He's into reading about Guardiola and Mourinho mm. and sports science tactics, how the game's evolved itself. So he's he's not one of these, oh, back in my day, it was much better, guys. He's, 
You touched on our thing yesterday because yesterday we sat down for a great length with Gordon Strachan and Gordon was a player who could, who, who, who I think if you transferred him from how he played at Aberdeen um, into the bus and I said he'd fit, you know, he, it would work. And he went, you know, modern football is unbelievable, modern football. And I said, why? And he said, to be able to do these creative, he didn't talk about fitness, he didn't talk about how dedicated the players are or and he touched on changes of rules so that you don't get your legs broken all the time now, he went they're, they're better they're more creative they do things that I could not have imagined in his days playing for Alex Ferguson I was really shocked by that because I look back and I think you know that he's going to tell me that Jimmy Johnson and you know Dennis Law and De Stefano whatever none of that he thinks we're watching you know, like the dad thinks about Iniesta and Xavi maybe it explains why we're both fascinated with what we're seeing in Spain he thinks we're seeing the elite of all time it's Anton's going to evolve over time I said that to my dad like would the modern day Celtic team beat the Lisbon Lions obviously no the new because Lisbon Lions would be a few players short etc <laughs> but I just mean in, in their peak would they beat and he was saying probably he said that mm. right? he was the same thing as striking although my dad was more about the fitness and stuff but that's yeah. interesting saying the game itself he- when you watch clips like you watch Sky Sports classic games it does seem much slower the, the tempo is much like the guy will get the ball he'll touch it three or four times and then he'll move it on Whereas now it's evidence one, two touch and the triangles and it's it's much faster anyway. Well, when you go then, like, could you go a lot to see Spanish football? And one of the games that, you know, we'd shared was the 5-0 classical. And I think that, you know, I would argue that I, I, I prefer, if you start to talk about all-time games, I'd prefer games when both teams are in it and maybe you get a dramatic late winner or however you want to write the narrative. But... Most people agree that that's the purest exhibition of skill I've ever seen. I've always prefer a, a close game, I, mm. but that was... What was that experience was like? That game, I'm talking I about the game. It was like, wasn't it? Yeah. Walking into the game, it was Mourinho's... Was it Mourinho's first classical? It was. So you're going in just going, right, well, Barca were obviously incredible the year before, mm-hmm. but just going, Mourinho, sustainment, this will be a lot closer, this will be... I never thought Madrid would be as negative... They went for it a bit, didn't they, initially? There was a little bit of toe-to-toe, yeah. I think you realised, player for player, you can't be sitting back when you've got Ronaldo and all these guys playing as well. So I think they kind of went for it, and then it just became... It was quite... It was just surreal to watch, but you're just used to watching Barca win... Watching them win 5 nils, nothing extraordinary. But that was against Madrid that night. That going, was... Look at the players on the park here. Yeah. And Mourinho's managing them. I think Madrid sort of retreated a bit, and then it just became... They went back into sort of negative... Tactics and it just became a kind of landslide, man. It was. And it was quite surreal looking at the scoreboard, seeing Barcelona five, Real Madrid nil. Good to be part or good to witness. Aye, it was amazing. It was my first ever classical, so you're not expecting anything like that. You're not. I didn't realise that. Aye, I think I told you that that night. But oh yeah, well, like, you know how much yeah. I pay attention. <laughs> and but you football had always. You mentioned Celtic as soon as we started talking. The football had always been really important to you, real passionate, it'd been life changing, I suppose getting to Parkhead, getting the tickets, being allowed in the supporters' buses. It's something that just takes over your, your life and how you think about life. Uh, you just, I grew up in that. Obviously, that's what father and son thing. Your dad taking you to the game. It's a rite of passage. I think it took me, my first ever game was probably, I think it was Celtic-Aberdeen. I remember it being a draw at Celtic Park. It would be. I think John Collins scored a free kick. All right. And then he took me again on the Wednesday. The Wednesday night game, it was Celtic-Dundee and we sat in the main stand. And Jim Duffy scored for Dundee. And I remember we missed a Paul McStay goal because we were at the pie stall or whatever. I dragged my dad down for a, <laughs> a quenchy cup or something like that. So they were the first. I was probably just too young then to really take in anything other than 
been amazed at the stadium and the floodlights. And That's what I was going to ask you. Do you remember your first impressions? Because I remember the first time I went to Pithodrin, the things that I'll remember forever is, is pipe tobacco. All the farmers in the main stand are <laughs> in smells. The, the smells. <laughs> you know, and the burger vans, I the chips and curry sauce smell, and the, see the generators with the burger vans, that noise. If I hear that noise, I know I'm at a football ground. Aye, and the hat, scarves, badge, and the tape. Skin. I always used to wonder what the last item was. <laughs> I get your hat, scarves, badge in the day. <laughs> Tapes, that is. Cassettes, you should have said to enunciate it. <laughs> Terrible marketing. Hats, Macaroon scarves, bars. Cassettes. My dad, he took me to Clyde Bank a few times as well, Kilbibby Park, to see the bankies. Remember their front three, Kennedy, Craig Flanagan, John Henry. Mm-hmm. That was the Messi, Neymar, Suarez, or Kilbibby Park. What was the part like then? I've been there with the dandies as a supporter once, and one end was, was like all glassed off, or it. That's right, aye, the main stand was like that. Like the Bombonera. <laughs> well, <Can> I... <laughs> noisier than that, obviously, more passionate aye, than the Bombonera. That's a, that's a weird stadium, the bottom has got the. Kilbibby Park was like a, a sort of admin side, looked the office block, and then it, opposite that was the bucket seat. Yeah. Behind both goals were just about a terrace, I think. Aye. I'm pretty sure I'm trying to picture it but I remember going to the game and just even my dad seemed a bit more relaxed mm. but at the Celtic game my dad was stressed out his mind and everybody just shouting and it just seemed as if it meant a bit there was merit at stake that, that kind of drew me in like how much these people cared or how much they'd lose admittedly Celtic were probably at their worst they'd been in a while the mid 90s sort of team but at that stage it was expensive and difficult it was difficult you had to work to get to the games or work to persuade your parents to get you you know tickets or season ticket or to be allowed in the Supporters bus. Oh, well, that was it. Well, a few years later, I'd always see my dad going to the games and John going to the games. And I'd be going round. My mum was a home help, so I'd be like Saturdays, I'd meet a ground with her. And she went there. Every time I say clients, it just reminds me of school. My mum was a home help, and you're going, she was at one of her clients, and it just sounds ominous. But you wanted to be at the game or on I the bus? I always or? get a hard time. I'm trying to think what you'd. Or old, the old people she went to see. You know what I mean? Can't say my mum's clients. I just the old gents. Like, nah, let's not go I, there. Let's I, just, I, Richard Pryor or whatever. <laughs> That was more his thing. So I go to my mom's older people, or whatever you call them. Anyway, we'll scrap that bit. I Saturdays would just get in. I would have to go to these old folks' house. My mum would make them their dinner and I'd stand just wishing I was going to the game. Then there was even one of the old women she went to see. Her house was right behind the Golden Hill pub in Hargate where the bus left. So that was particularly tough because you'd need to see them all getting on, just going, when can I go to the games? But my mum would always go on either. It was the new parkade, so it wasn't as easy as just getting up to the game. You had to actually buy a ticket or and then there was a waiting list for a season ticket. So at the end of primary seven, my dad came over to pick me up one day for school and he had two season tickets in the glove compartment. You know, he had a letter in fact addressed to me and he said you get a letter through. I'd never received a letter in my life, so I opened it. And it was a season ticket. So the first season I had a season ticket was in 97, 98 season when Celtic stopped the ten in a row. So my brother Is that the Vim Jansen here? Aye. Oof. My brother had been through the whole nine years of Rangers dominance <laughs> and I rocked up right at the end. One season, won, won the league in my first season. Who was your best player then? I mean yours, not Celtic. Well, that was early Henry Larson when it was Larson's first right? season. So, was, was Vim Janssen responsible for recommending Larson? Or, uh, no, Janssen. He'd come from Feyenoord, hadn't he? Uh, Janssen bought Larson, 650,000, something crazy anyway. Was that, he'd fallen out with Feyenoord, wasn't he? Aye. Tribunal, you can't, you can't believe it now, Aye. can you? Can I remember my dad, that was his, he goes, uh, my Uncle George to say they were signing some guy Larson 
my dad recognised the picture of him Seriously? for the USC 94 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Larson, I don't know if he had, didn't he have a great tournament or something. There were, if you remember, we, I was at that tournament, they were a really functional team and they were tall and they were athletic. And he ran around massively, his hair was long and mentally, and maybe like it was. They finished third, you know, so they won the it, third, fourth playoff. Maybe my dad paints it as he had a worse tournament than he did, because older guys, my dad's get a sort of built-in resistance to anybody with a flamboyant haircut. So maybe that went against his USA 94 appraisal. <laughs> but my dad's words were, Larson, is that that wee diddy from Sweden? <laughs> that was his wee diddy from Sweden. That's what he, I don't know if you remember Larson's debut. He came on against Hibs at Easter do, Road yeah. and it was his slack pass that put Chick Charnley through and goal. Charnley scored. Yeah. Larson was at fault. And then we played Dynamo Batumi. Get out of here in Georgia. No, it was obviously the two legs. I was in Georgia. I was went, went to that game. Did you go to that game? I was and they just tried to blow up Shevardnadze's car and there'd been a cholera outbreak and I had signed off and I thought well, I'm never coming back from this one. Batumi? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Rough, eh? Geographically it's shaped like Monte Carlo. Right. And it comes down to a big open wide horseshoe sort of coastline bay and it's a step down all the way there. Except everything's fall was then falling down. There was oxen walking in the street, there were people sitting. I remember Fergus McCann getting really people who aren't doing anything with no purpose in life and look at all these people sitting around and uh, they could be working in my burger bars and stuff like that I was like there's a it just came from nowhere <laughs> I was I was born and brought up in Croy this is the thing just like he was hi Fergus listen I'm not we were held up the, the team and me more importantly we were hijacked on the runway of the airport that night they wouldn't let us out militia came up with guns with all were sitting on the plane with the team and I'm like, let's get the hell out of Batumi. And the late Ian Archer had pinched a beer glass from a bar, so there'd already been an incident with the gendarmes of Batumi. And this militia sort of came out of there. It should have been pitchforks and lit and torches, and it wasn't. It was guns. I can't do the George accent. There's an unpaid phone bill here. Somebody's not paid the... F- right, right. They've run up a phone bill of $20,000. And you're like, All right, is that right? And, said, and you're not leaving here. And then this luxury is an armed band. And Jock, what's his name, was the general manager? Uh, Jock Brown. Jock Brown. And McCann was on the flight. And then they had to negotiate. And my memory is that Celtic went... How did Fergus go on negotiating they, the bill? They, they paid their way out of our... We paid to get out of, that, out of that country. Aye, it, was, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. It's not Aye. what I signed up for when I became Aye. a football journalist. Thought, it put me Aye. off Aye. ever travelling to Batumi. <laughs> well, anyway, in the home leg, Larson scored an own goal. I think that was his second game. So he'd... Chick Charnley they'd set him up for that going and scored their own goal so my dad was he's wee daddy for Sweden I was dying. I called it son and then obviously the next did okay. seven years reversed that what did you think of Larson apart from the obvious and the goals <laughs> I thought it was alright eh? <laughs> uh, no it was the best I've ever seen I asked because yeah, I was leaving to go to London two weeks after he signed or three weeks after he signed so we interviewed him and I didn't really see him again until he moved to Barcelona so I didn't live in Scotland um, for all the time that he was king of kings and I was shocked that he took the camp now by storm and yeah. even in the days of Ronaldinho whatever when he left the Barcelona pitch as a, coming off as a substitute when he came on as a substitute nobody Eto Rivaldo when I'd been there Ronaldinho nobody got a throatier bigger roar of not just you're good we love you we believe in you Senate Larson who played a bit part at Barcelona the level of affection for him was just out of and I'm asking about it was a horrible that day he left. I think it was Dundee United the last game, and um, they done the lap of honour, projectile tears. <laughs> I like. I remember it just. See that wee, that see that wee emoji, the emoticon guy that you type. When you're, when you're laughing, the wee yellow guy with the blue tears. 
like that, except for no uh, laughter. It was brutal. It was a, a deep sense of loss about that day, that his last game. It is physically and emotionally painful when you lose somebody that important to you but from a football club. he could have played anywhere. I don't think anybody was... No Celtic fan was surprised when Larson on to like, have a pivotal performance, come off the bench in the Champions League. And he set up Belletti, didn't he? At Paris, yeah. Even was Henri came out at the end and said... He played for Arsenal in the final, obviously, but he said, tonight I've never seen Ronaldinho, I've never seen Deco, I've never seen Eto'. I've only seen one man make a difference, and that was Henrik Larson. An iconic figure, and because he could have went to any club... But he stayed with us for seven years, and you're never going to see that again. A guy who's going to come to Celtic and play even one season anywhere near the level, uh, Henrik Larsson, he'll be off to fucking West Brom or somewhere. Like because, of the, because of money? Because of the money, aye, but Larsson could I'd imagine he was still getting weighed. <laughs> Celtic could have paid a lot higher back then, but... But they also incentivised him to stay. He they could easily a, have moved on for... They put a golden goodbye at the end of the contract, which is why he stayed, and it was very you know, it was lucrative for him to stay, but... Don't say that, Graham. Now you're through your pain. Don't you hear that? No, seriously, now you're through your pain. (laughs) No, but I'd like to think... Should he have left earlier? Right, I'm I'm asking you... For his own ambition? No, not not on Henrik Larsson's behalf. You've got a football appreciation and brain and appetite that's beyond being a Celtic fan. Van Bronckhorst was always telling him, not just come here, come here, come here. Go, you should be somewhere else. Retrospectively, do do you still think you made the right choice? When you look at that Seville... Year when mm. we got to the final against Porto, mm. Larson's performance that night. It was off the scale, wasn't it? So his ambitions, I don't think anybody can question that. That he, oh, you should move on. Fair enough, people will be saying that to him because he could have played for any club. But I think he had a vision for Celtic that obviously the people that could make that happen never had. For Martin O'Neill and Henrik Larson and that <laughs> squad, I think Seville should have been a starting point. Mm. We could have really built on that team. That's probably the closest my age group will ever see. To what could have been the Porto team won the Champions League the following year. They did very little retouches. The Liverpool team we beat two 0 at Anfield. They won the Champions League two years after with very little touches as well. Mm-hmm. So I think Larson was right to stay because great things could have been achieved at Celtic. It's a brilliant, brilliant answer. That's what I was asking you, not I don't just think it was from a, a Celtic fan's point of view. I don't think it's a case of that these days. Should somebody maybe it's different because the Scot- Scottish football financially has regressed to the extremes that the Premiership has progressed. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I think Larson should have at least been, I don't know, quarter-final, something Champions League, we could have been, who knows. But it was great that night to see him. I remember having a gig at the stand and leaving to find out what the final score had been and somebody had said Larson had changed the game. I remember being as happy as I'd ever been. It was, it was an extraordinary game. That wasn't there, like, they were being goal. outplayed by 10 men, I was there. And, you know, and he has to change the game to a certain degree as well. But the two things I would say is that clearly Larson made that you know, touch for the first goal that touch on Iniesta's pass that Eto runs onto. But what happened definitely throughout the course of that was his second season and it was his last game. Players, you know, you've been at enough games now where you see other players saying, oh, he's on the pitch now, we're OK, we're in good hands. Might or might not win it alone today, but something's changed. And the Barcelona players felt like that about him. I used to go to the game just to be sitting and no matter what was happening or who you were playing, you're still just going to Henrik's on, it'll be all right. Yeah. It's, it's like being with your mental pal. Nobody's going to start with you. Can you imagine <laughs> what it was like for him, though? Because all the time you watched him, yep. it was like, if Henrik ran, you gave him the ball. Aye. If Henrik made a move, he wanted it there, you gave him the ball. But he was never greedy. I remember Harold Bratpak's debut, Celtic Kilmarnock, I think it was four. I think Bratpak scored the four goals, but he had a howler. He was the only guy I've ever seen have a four-goal howler. <laughs> Larson made, I think, pretty much one of them even stopped on Would the line. Would you fly with him now? I believe he's a... 
qualified airline pilot now, Harold. Is that right? Is he it? is, yeah. Would you fly with him? I don't based know on what you saw that day. No. That's what ah, I felt I you were saying. He looks like a pilot. Ah, okay, okay. He always okay. had a bit of the pilot about <laughs> Aye. Okay. That day, no, no disrespect to Harold, but Larson was never a selfish player, as he was always. But what am I? I wasn't whatever the best option that. was. But that's right, because he was team leader. His decision making, for example. So. If you're that good and you win trophies and you win matches based on your decision making and the, the team is subservient to you for the right reasons because you do the right things, you, you resolve problems, and then you go to Barcelona and the system says, the system that you've seen and you understand now, no, you get the ball when we've moved the other team around enough or when Xavi dictates, because when he came, I'm, I'm not bright enough to know that it was automatically giving me a success, but he didn't understand the system. He went, hold on, I'm in it last I've just made a brilliant run. It was the right ball to give it to me in Xavi or Iniesta. Maybe it was Ed Milson then. Was, no, that's not how it works. And Eto also, who's an irascible character, wouldn't give the ball to him. What I learned, what he taught me, Larson, was that he just, when he broke his leg in the, in the classical November, he went away and just relearned. At what, what age? I don't know what age it was. Thirty-two or thirty-one. I still have that sense of humility on, to go back I, and the capability to professionalism. I'll just reboot. Yep. So I guess it doesn't surprise you, but you know what? You've seen it's the Barcelona system. Quite a system. unique career model when you look at even going back to Firenid, having the fallout there, moving to Scotland, midfielder at Firenid. For that kind of six hundred thousand, and then suddenly this team in Scotland, as I'm sure that's Celtic were seen as in his circles, whatever. Just he's moving to the Scottish league. It's a backward step. To then go on to, be, to get to that level mm-hmm. that you leave and go to Barcelona and then win the Champions League and then obviously Man United as well. Seville was his biggest disappointment, but I'm asking you a little bit about that I've experience. Also, just to go back to Henrik Larsson, I'm probably the only guy that's got his autograph on a first bus all-day ticket. <laughs> there we go. Queuing up the car park. We're up to collect tickets. One day, me and my mate Tony, what dogged the last two periods of school on a Friday, went up and the team were just leaving. Like they'd trained at Celtic Park that day. So we're sort of hanging about and we've seen a bit of commotion. It was Larsson, so the two sprinted right up. But we never had pens or you never had smartphones at the time all I had was my first bus all day ticket Clyde back to Parkhead so I was going you know the way they just grab one pen and just sign everybody's autograph with the same pen I'd handed it the all day ticket and he sort of looked at me because he had a marker <laughs> pen and a first bus all day ticket is pretty narrow so he's he had to lean on his jeans but he, they were light blue jeans and a tiny bit of the ink went off the all day ticket and on his blue jeans I remember I was stomach churning I was like Henrik I'm so sorry <laughs> As if I'm ready to offer, like, I'll go to D2 and I'll buy you a new pair of jeans. Can you afford a new pair? Because I'll find the money somehow. <laughs> he just, he it. looked at me and I, he was more, this wee guy took this pretty bad because I was quite a nervous <laughs> wee guy and he's going, he's, he goes like, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and he gave me all day tickets, so we're trying to get back on the bus. But Larson had obscured the date. <laughs> so, the driver's not letting us on. And my three pals, uh, Tony and the other two, they're going, it's Henry Larson's autograph, mate. As if, like, you need to let him on. <laughs> And the driver's going, Larson, he's, he's shite, I'm a Rangers man. So we're going, we're going, oh, mate, come on, he was only obviously having a joke and he waved his on. But only in Glasgow. It was the way my pals rounded round me as if it should have been 
It's Henry. Are you serious? Come on. As if that's valid for a week. Talking about, we should be able to drive it home. Let Kevin in the driver's seat, man. They joking? Pass, man. So I've I've still got it somewhere. Oh, Henrik. You, aye, you aye. need, you need anyway. to send Hendrik one of yours. You need to sign something and send it to Hendrik now, I tell you. I Just sign something like a. Send a bus ticket and send it to Hendrik. Somebody had passed the story on to him. I bet they did, aye. I don't know, I apparently signed a picture or something and sent it. it was when I'd done uh, ITVs this morning, I told the researcher they're asking about the most. Anytime you've been starstruck, and it's still. I don't know, you can meet whoever. Henrik. But Henrik Arsenal's still. You, you, child, it, uh, first, first hero. It made you bring up Seville. I moved to Spain because of my experiences as a, as a punter Aye. at the 82 World Cup. And it wasn't because I wasn't watching league football, so it wasn't that that made me go back. It was about everything I experienced there. What you've never told me but is interested in me is about the Seville experience beyond the match, beyond the fact that Celtic were outstanding and cheated out of a trophy. Travelling there, the, the, the heat, the behaviour of the fans, the, 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 the culture, the things that... Well, I wasn't going to be allowed to go because I had two exams coming up, which is a fairly valid reason for missing a football match. Except you didn't think of it that way at the time? No. Well, my dad, he missed Lisbon in 67 because he told me for the same price as the bus, they were going to get the bus food and talker down to Lisbon. Down to Lisbon, I'm saying that as if that's a route for Clyde Bank to Lisbon. What bus is on you get? Um, yeah. It's a 67, is it? They were taking a bus, and for that same price, they could have had two weeks in Arenal, which apparently that was the Magaluf each day. So it was the first lads' holiday, all the game. And he went on the lads' holiday. I don't understand that either. But I think he was saying at the time, as a Celtic fan, being in the European Cup final wasn't quite the same level of hysteria as being in the UEFA Cup final in Seville. It was the There'll be more. We'll be in next year's jockstein. So... They'd done the lads' holiday and he missed Lisbon. Obviously, devastating when we won. Delighted, but that bit of him just going, I should have went. I should really have went. So in 1970, Milan, he went to Milan. We got beat. Fyrnid beat Celtic. And then I think he thought that was it. I don't ever anticipated it would be, what, 1970, 33 years until we were in a European final again. So I think he was going to have me go through the same pain. Basically, his attitude was, these things happen every 33 years under this Celtic team. Who knows? Well, it's, I don't see it for a while anyway. Ah, you know, that's a bit harsh. I don't know. But anyway, he was pretty much keen on live for the moment. You need to take these experiences. This is the stories you tell your grandchildren. And I managed to overrule my mother. Uh, and I missed my maths and computing exam to go to the game. And then we managed to get match tickets and stuff like that. Because I'd, I think I'd been to a lot of the away games and stuff, so I had quite a high priority, whatever it's called, the points you accumulate. We arrived there one in the afternoon, baking hot. I don't think I seen concrete hoops. Everywhere, a couple of Porto fans kicking about, and ain't even ever considering just buying a Celtic strip. <laughs> um, I just, I was that, I just never expected this. What was it? What was? Does it not? I mean, like my memory is that whenever you come out of the plane, or just, the heat, it was absolutely just, suffocating. Like, that, the this heat. is what I mean. People who haven't lived that don't know what it's like. You, you get knocked out by the heat. There's this plus that many people, and the, the body heat, noise, that, even if that was in Moscow in that final, it'd have been getting awesome. anywhere quickly <laughs> is impossible. Aye. You hear all the accents and the jokes and yep. the bevy everywhere. It's just it's the only thing we do well at football. It was like the whole city was just. You constantly felt as if you were just leaving the game. You know that way you're just shoulder to shoulder with somebody the whole day. So it was me, my dad, my uncle George. And my dad's arthritis began to play up pretty bad. So we had to find him a taxi somewhere to get him to the stadium. And me and my uncle George were going to walk up through the square to the Olympic Stadium. So we managed to find this taxi. We only got three guys getting in. 
and my uncle George said, look, can you just take him up? You're all going to the same place, obviously, and we'll just catch you up there. So my dad got in, but then when he drove away, my dad had the tickets, right? So my uncle George is going, right, he's got all the tickets. We never arranged a place to meet. He obviously presuming we'll just get him at the seat when we get into the stadium. So we're trying to find him. We got to the stadium, we walked up, and we're just going, right, how do you even go about finding a guy with a Celtic strip on in Seville? Well, just like, unfortunately, my dad had found this big grassy park and just sat in the middle, just hoping we'd see him. I remember just being deli- I was going, Dad! <laughs> just like ran across, grabbed the tickets, three years went in. But there's people, because he'd, he'd sat down, there's people obviously thinking that was because he was steaming, but he doesn't drink. And people try to pick him up, just going, Come on, big man, you're ready. I've had a couple too. And he said, I'm fine, I'm fine. So we made it into the stadium. Do you know that two stories, Kate? I was travelling back from. Almeria um, this season with somebody who'd been involved with UEFA's security on that day uh, was it the Olympic Stadium? The Olympic Stadium aye that's right and he said to me there's two things that they did made it difficult for you guys unfortunately but they'd come up with this brilliant ticketing idea which was like there was, it was like infrared and 6D and there was computer chips in it and it aye. was like the most of they'd used a Spanish treasury to design and print the tickets but you know there's someday in the East End coming up with an even more advanced scheme to get the fakes through the only thing that could outthink the East End was the Spanish system which went, they said how many machines will we need to read these tickets for 45,000 one one machine operating for all the tickets they had to scan it through so I want nobody can get in there's only one they can't move that t- thing around the state. that's all they had so they started opening doors and letting, just looking at the tickets and letting them in. And at one stage, there was such a big queue of people with tickets that log jam caused by the fact that they couldn't read the tickets. They opened a big door and they looked out and all they could see was a sea of wheelchairs with people in green and white strips. It was just acres and acres of wheelchairs, like a sort of attack of the killer wheelchairs. And what had happened was the word had got about... I, didn't, I wasn't there at the time, and this is the UEFA guy telling me that Celtic fans had found out that there was either reduced or free access to disabled people. <laughs> so they'd gone round all the Seville's hospitals, clinics, medical supply shops and bought all the Aye. wheelchairs and wheeled themselves <laughs> up there to get in. And it was like your bus story, but you got to let us in, man. It's, Aye, look, exactly. look, the wheels, we've got the wheels. And as soon as the goal goes in, they're up. <laughs> your beauty. Henrik Larson cured the disabled. Never seen so many Ingen- people jump. Ingenuity. No, i never seen that myself. I've seen one no, guy. No, but it's characterful. I managed to get through with a, a fake ticket. He's turning around to his mates. What? Going, yeah, as if shouting, they worked, they worked. Well, and just heed down and get, get to your seat or find a seat. Uh, I had loads of stories. It was a great experience, especially at that age. I was what, 16, I'd have been. Mm. Just to take in something as massive as that. Did going to Spain that day open up your appetite to travel to watch football? Because uh, it's just an amazing thing to do, isn't it? Just... Well, you two in the Bombonera, since I've known you, you've been obsessed by the Super Classico. I remember being a younger on like, Channel 5 and stuff watching. The late night, there's always the Transworld Sport and they would do all the different derbies and stuff. And I remember seeing Maradona in the Bombonera, but the crowd are all singing like Diego, Diego, and he's like, waving. But he's coordinating the whole stand, though it's bouncing as he's like just waving his left hand in there, and the whole stadium's just responding to him. It just looked the passion that I don't think you get in a lot of leagues. No. Even when you go to Barcelona, it's no, it's not. The football's incredible, but it's still a theatrical experience. But like the guy beside you's like pulls out a novel at half time and just like still amazing but you're just I love watching the Barca family start shouting at players mm-hmm. see the way like my dad will shout he <laughs> <laughs> used to shout at like Tommy Boyd or something they're shouting at they're like mates Busquets you're shouting at or Jordi Albert they're still going to you can just tell they're going every week with him 
Exactly. And they can't now, they're all wearing sort of suede jackets, ties up, you know, come on. Like, that's not our standards. <laughs> it's not a primeval experience at the camp now, well, is the, it? The Argentinian League. That, it's the passion, because... Aye, I want to go and see San Lorenzo next. Why? I've just seen some clips of their fans, and a couple of people were saying, when I was over at Buenos Aires, I need to go and see San Lorenzo. I type in San Lorenzo, Dicen que estamos un cabeza. That's the song. It goes on for ages. I think I get voted the best Latin language football chant in some magazine. And my mate was telling me, you know Roberto, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Spanish fantastic man, yeah. Keep me in the loop with all this sort of stuff. They sent me a clip of their fans, and it's unbelievable. Well, I, I've watched the clip of them singing... River de Simi que se siente Abogado Nacional And it's, it's Te juro aunque pase en los Nunca nos vamos a olvidar What a tune And the whole thing is like You went down, we saw you We're never going to let you off the hook and Take it River, tell me how it feels yeah. To have played in the second division Even though every year that passes We'll never let you forget The stain will never go away because the game, that was the game I was at. It was the Rivers' first game in the top flight. Come back, yeah. So all the Boca fans are dressing up as ghosts, <laughs> like the ghost of Division B. So it's all these guys with white bed sheets with a big B on them, and they're just. Uh, I took my phone out like a tourist. I was just there myself. So it's going to be hard to ever explain what the atmosphere was like unless you get a bit of video. Twenty first century guy. I felt like a bit of a dick, but I recorded a wee bit of it. And the guy's just grabbing me, going, my friend. No, like, sing, sing. <laughs> Never Sorry, mate. Put him back in the pocket. <laughs> uh, it was incredible. But it is, yeah. I mean, it is. It's primeval. It's unbelievable. It was scary. It was pretty intimidating. Let's see, the day I left the hotel, the day of the Boca River game, and it just had that atmosphere and the baking hot sun, but you could just tell there was something happening in the city that day. Like, it's on everybody's mind. Even the taxi driver, the radio was on. It's some phone-in show. You can tell it's obviously team news coming in and... He took me as close as he could get to the stadium. And you just see all these armed cops everywhere. Everyone getting lined up and searched. I had to go through like four metal detectors. Then the guy beside me, he's got like 15 rockets in and flares. And you're going, did you not come through the same metal detectors I came through? As long as you've not got a gun, everything else is okay. <laughs> that's about what it is. Aye, isn't that's it? right. Oh, the, the linesman get hit with a bottle and never even told the ref. It just, the game just played on. <laughs> No, no, it was only a plastic bottle with beef fair plate for no hitting the deck, but... Part and parcel. Uh, and the ref actually stopped the game as well, the one I was at. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It was 20 minutes. They took all the players off the park. Because of the... Because of the rebuild, they see me cases. They were singing it for ages. It was obviously a premeditated thing. All the fireworks were going off. At this, That's... Like a certain minute on the clock, they all just went mental. Then the ref's just like... I watched the one footage of the one you were at, and the, you can't. All you can hear is that the noise, and you, you, you join in the rhythm, but the smoke from the fireworks and the flares, you actually can't see it. You can't no. see the fans. Well, the pitch the disappeared. Pitch. Yes, yeah. you can't see anything. So obviously, it must have been bad for the I don't know the players. Even breathing in gunpowder. Imagine trying to play ninety minutes with gunpowder. I mean, that tells you something. Maradona's <laughs> a great name, but you weren't there. Solely for the football, you'd watch the football if it came along, but Aye. you were there for the, the culture, the, the the vibe, the fact that the things that you you know me, Graham. I'm always there for the culture and the vibe. vibe this is no, true. I went. I was trying try to write my book. I, I hadn't started it yet. It was getting on a bit, so I thought I need to go somewhere. I don't know anybody, and I'll combine it. So I checked the fixtures. When I walk a plane, river, go over there, start it on the plane, and then go to the games. Where next? Apart from Petodri, I want to go and see Dortmund. Uh huh. On my book signing tour last year, I had a hoodie on. And it was nothing strategic. I just happened to, you're sitting there for hours, you need something comfortable. I had a Dortmund hoodie, and a couple of people were obviously getting pictures of me at the signings and stuff and tweeting them. 
and I think somebody copied in a Dortmund supporters club that were going like nice hoodie Kev and all that and then Dortmund's really? official Twitter followed me so I followed them back and they're just going love the jumper anything you want to come to a game let yeah. us know so I'd love to go and see that I think their displays are always great yeah. in that big stand the biggest stand in Europe yeah I'm just ashamed Jurgen Klopp's away. I'd love to went to see them under him, but for that difficult year. Eh? Yeah, but I mean, I think in all honesty, if you, I've, I've been there for club games and a national game, and the stadium is extraordinary. But people behave differently there. Yeah, Tuchel is is obviously a more calm character than Klopp. But the stadium, you're gonna, have, I think you're gonna have the same experience. The new managers came for the same club that they got Klopp from. Is that right? He, he and he's got similar ideas about how football should be played. And he's a bright guy. Maybe his career could have been bigger as a, as a football player. It stand out in terms of his performance. Tuchel or Tuchel is his name. Is and I've seen his teams play. Nothing else. The, the thing you would worry about for your experience is maybe I'd be really concerned about Royce going now. What they're going to have to do is get in this cycle now of completely starting again. Everybody's going to say, "Okay, it's my turn to start a new cycle too." I, I'll be off as well. And at the club, because if you remember when, when Klopp first came, he turned players who, who were in the reserve side or who were going out of the team. Or he saw things in players that, that even his, you know, Zork, his general manager and the scouts didn't see. So he brought his own vision to the building of the squad. So Tuchel's coaching credentials are obviously really high, but how, how you rebuild, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, for example, you've not seen your team nearly relegated, but, you know, the times at Pataudry where, you know, the fans that I love and the team that I love... And it got its most heaters when under Roy Aiken, and we were nearly relegated. And I went, every man in the barricades. And I know that sounds a bit silly about Petodri, but that's what it felt like. That's what it'll feel like at Bristol Stadium. I don't know if I'd like, I'd quite like that. It was Team Celtic in a wee relegation battle just for a change. It was the, all, the, all the passion and the people around you that you want to wake up and you want to look at your fellow fans and say, <laughs> get a bit passionate, get, get in there. And, and it happens because of the fear factor. And it was, it was mad to see because I want to win trophies. But that season when we nearly went down and, and we, we beat Dundee United in the mist and these images of Stuart McKinney and his wee vest and all that and the relief and was that. It, did we Aberdeen beat, play Fissel in a playoff? The one, the one that I'm talking about, we were, oh, was that you, we were left with United. Was we, United. We had to beat United. I remember that listening out on the radio. And we were unsure about Roy Aiken, obviously, because of it, you know... He, was he there because he was handy as an assistant coach? Or does he really care about us? And we got what Celtic had always got, which is full on, and he changed the attitude. I, I don't want to see my club, my team, in difficulties, but that season it just... I hope they're looking all right, though, this year. Yeah, it'd be nice to win now, I think. It'd be nice to win now, I right. would say, yeah. That's exciting, though. It's good to see. We've got one or two nice young players, and it'd be good to see Scottish football with talented players of technique, which is why I started asking you about... Um, Barcelona, because I want the people growing up in Scotland to, to value the touch and technique of the Spanish footballers and well, I think play I, like that. Cannot, my dad's the same, cannot speak highly at uh, La Liga. And I think the more the Premiership becomes overexposed and just overhyped and, and too rich. I can see why it's a selling point because the games like Chelsea will go to Burnley and drop points, and that's quite cool. But do you want to watch that? How, how dull is that? We did this experience once before, and it was with. Gary Neville and Gary represents maybe the best of English football over our lifetime winning you know a winning franchise a blend of players who could really play like Giggs and Scholes and whatever Beck and then guys who, who worked hard and were brilliant teammates and were committed and all that stuff he talked about only having seen the Premier League through the players eyes and now that he's an analyst you know he's got fears for 
the, the skill deficit, the intelligence deficit, the, the craft, the ability to match the elite of English football with the elite of most of the major countries in Europe. And therefore, he would still see it as a really entertaining product. But he's beginning even to talk about it in terms of maybe not quite pantomime, but it certainly isn't elite. Yeah. I definitely, it's still great. I'll still watch the games, but just the technique and the. You stick on Malaga, Villarreal, sometimes you'll have a Super Sunday, you'll watch the 12 o'clock game, the 2 o'clock, the 4 o'clock, and it's like the Spanish league comes on, it's like your fifth game of the day, you're just burnt out by watching the games. But it, sometimes it's the best game. No, the Spanish one at the end, because you just start seeing fast passing, and a couple of guys you've never heard of, you're just going, who's that wee guy? And who can beat like, a man or who can make a killer pass? Rather than somebody you're just sick of the sight of, Sky Sports News the whole week, hearing about his hamstring and will he make it and sat and fed up with the guy's face and then you discover well, new we'll, players and we'll finish on Aye, and you finish. need to be careful but you need to only my lack of knowledge has been exposed here amongst we'll, the pro we'll finish no, finish up only man. one man in this room has been coached by Jose Mourinho that's right did you make your peace with him after Seville and did you see a different side of the Jose Mourinho that I saw when he was the Real Madrid manager and he was caught up in Machiavelli and stuff he was, a, he was an angry man in those days the soccer aid thing, that the offer came in, uh, my agent phoned me up and just goes, do you play football? And I was just going, well, I play about a five-a-sides at goals in Drumchapel. What do you mean by football? And he's going, eh, it's basically soccer aids every two years and they're looking for like, a rest of the world, celebrities and ex, whatever. So I'm always a bit like celebrity stuff. It's like, I don't really see myself as that. Anyway, that's my own sort of. Hang up. Neurosis or whatever you want to call it. I said, who's playing? I don't want to hear the celebrities. Who's the footballers? And he's going to Clarence Seedorf, Edwin van der Sar, Yap Stam, <laughs> Alessandro Del Piero, Andre Shevchenko, <laughs> coached by Mourinho. And he goes, you need, they need you for training for four days and then the game on the Sunday. And I'm going, wow, obviously I'll, obviously I'll play. I've never been on a living side pitch before, except for a few daft kickabout games and like, other comedy festivals and stuff so I signed up for it you're thinking like, surely Mourinho's not going to show up every day so we got there on the Monday it was a welcome night I get in the lift I dump my bags in the hotel get told the penthouse of the hotel was the welcome drinks night dump my bag get in the lift the lift door opens and I went to walk out presuming it was my floor and it was Mourinho and his assistant kind of looking about a bit lost and I was like I never knew what to say I was just going Josie and he goes are you going to the penthouse and I was like yes mate the soccer aid because I had the polo shirt on and he's in the lift, just kind of, I was like, looking forward to this week. And he's going, ah, yeah, it should be fun. It's a bit of small talk. I thought that'd maybe be the last I would see him, but the mm. next day, he's there every day, training, first guy there, mm. doing the training drills. I had quite a tight hamstring, right? So I had to tell the physio that I'd been trying to get fit for it, and then trying to get fit, I'd end up even less fit. I'd pull a muscle or Too whatever. Much. So I get told I had an underactive glute, and I couldn't train. <laughs> an underactive glute, that's... That's something funny. my mom would call me when I was refusing <laughs> to go to bed so I had to get acupuncture and it was a uh, Fulham's ground Fulham's training ground so the physios are like, putting needles in and even the novelty of that like in Jamie Redknapp he was getting treatment there we go stereotypes he was getting the treatment beside me so I'm on the treatment table and just wow a bit of years going right the novelty of getting treatment wears off pretty fast when Mourinho's out there taking a training session so on the last day I managed to get training mm -hmm. and I scored a goal right but it was only because I'd well, maybe did myself a discredit in the training Mourinho was like showing us how to take an offensive corner right uh -huh. 
So know how to take it out. Basically, in offensive corners and defence. We're working on the defence, and then a corner was coming in. So I was in the team with the non-bib. So it's our team's corner. Mm-hmm. So he's telling me where I have to be. Mm-hmm. He's showing me these notepads and stuff. But it's, I'm like, I can't believe you're talking to me, mate. <laughs> rather than following his instructions. So I never knew what to do. Right? So Seedorf's taking the corner, and I'm going, how do you? What do you say when you're looking for the ball? It's not like goals on a Tuesday night in Chapel shouting Craigie or something. So I'm going, what do you say? So I'm going like. Eh. Clarence before it was even up my mouth he just zinged this past to me and it was coming far too I'm panicking I'm not able to control this so I, I, only because I hadn't followed Mourinho's instructions I'd came short for the corner rather than go to the edge of the box it's just knackered to even get into the box so Mourinho he must have thought I went against him but I, maybe I liked that I expressed myself a wee bit right so I've shouted Clarence he's knocked the bottom of me so I feel like I kind of angle just to the right of the goal I've kind of curled it up and it's been I've just hit it because I was panicking about being unable to control it so I've just put a toe through it but it's been right up oh, you like a Beckham right in the side net on the far away goal in the net everybody's cheering God I swear to God this happened God I know it seems like I think it was on the highlights package right? on the, the build up show they're all applauding Mourinho's going where has that been all week my secret <laughs> record <laughs> so I can't believe it Clarence has given me a high five a nice goal man but I didn't want to tell them obviously so in the canteen afterwards Van der Sar walks up and he goes uh, nice goal man <laughs> and I said, oh, cheers Edwin and he's going uh, it's hard to read the mishits I'm going you big prick <laughs> and I, so I mentioned the two Nakamura put by him laughing but anyway I sat beside Mourinho on the bus up from London to Manchester on the day of the game where you play at Old Trafford Old Trafford so on the Saturday it was funny honest. Mourinho was telling us that anybody that's late on the bus at Chelsea they just get told to get a taxi the bus leaves on time no matter where they so we're waiting for ages Nobody knows who we're waiting on Mourinho he sits at the back of the bus which I quite liked <laughs> rather than the gaffer at the front one of the the BAM fans sits up the back so he's going who, who are we waiting on man fucking hell who are we waiting on and it turns out it was Adam Richman for Man vs Food okay. so he walks on and Mourinho sees it was he's going fucking hell I thought we were waiting on Maradona <laughs> <laughs> so like, he's quite sharp but um, I'm sitting beside, it was, I was on like, the aisle seat he was on the other aisle seat so it's like a five hour bus journey and we just get talking about became like a Q&A sort of thing just mm. asking him about I was showing him my football manager on my iPad <laughs> I was managing a wee non-league team called Workington in the Blue Square North but it was in like season 2035 so I'm showing Mourinho and he's laughing and I was like what the f-? showing him the news and they said they'd built a statue of me and all that sort of stuff and he's going 2035 I'm like mate I'm a legend I'm showing him what <laughs> the history I'd won five European Cups how many of you done Jose and he's laughing <laughs> Then I, I, was, I was showing him my tactics and how I like to t- keep the team like, pressing, keep the passes short. Mm-hmm. And then he's asking me if you're playing pressing football, the players need to be fit. I'm going, of course, not. Like, you're talking to a guy that's won five European Cups, Jose. <laughs> I'm showing him all the players' stamina is at 20, that's the highest attribute. And then he was just laughing and he showed me his iPad with all, this, with all the match data and stuff for Chelsea that season. And how in depth it is. Was, but just a real he knew I was into my football and stuff, and that, so it was really. Phenomenal, just a gift. Eh? Him, He's a just enormous, very hit. relaxed, hypnotic, interesting, Aye, definitely funny, intelligent guy. There's bits you're just waiting on him just to go right enough questions because the more you ask, you ask him a couple of things and it's just getting like, what about that game, Jose? You know, it's now you know how I feel in this situation. I <laughs> felt like a journal, I feel because I'd keep going for five hours if. But well, no, that night I asked him about Seville, it was Martin Comston. I, want, I mean, that's what I wanted to know because if that had been my nemesis. Aye. I would have had words, even if they were sort of oh, I definitely. couched gently. I still respect the guy for 
the one in Portland done what he had to do and mm. the thing you can always say is would you take Mourinho managing your team mm-hmm. of course you would mm-hmm. so I'd asked well, it was Martin Compson that actually said about Seville and he was just going he said he'd never seen men footballers as dead on their feet as that night mm-hmm. in the Andalusian heat and extra time then he rattled off the whole Celtic team Still, mm-hmm. he's going Yas Valgar and Mayalbi Bobo Baldi done that with a sort of tone in his voice as if oh I don't know big Bobo <laughs> I remember I had a Celtic strip with Bobo cop on the back that was quite quite a unique touch anyway so he's talking about that, just saying how Bobo if you're listening that's out of love that he had that okay because <laughs> you were a great player big man <laughs> I just talking about the heat and just saying like when they got the goal and we'd lost big Bobo then he was just like get the players if you're injured, stay down, recover, and just kill the game, basically. So, so you're talking about his players as, as, as being as tired as the Celtic players. Oh, aye, aye. Just no, no, they said that. They said men, 22 players, well, 21 players. Salt in the moon. So, you know, as you were saying, actually, you were as close to winning as you, as aye, you thought you were. It was tough to listen to, but the fact they still remember the whole team. Neil, that's what he said, Neil Lennon in the middle, like a fucking dog. That's what he said, <laughs> barking away, man. It was good to hear. But uh, it was amazing just to hear the guy, his assistant, Rui. Rui was saying how emotional a night because that was the first big thing they had won together what the first what, first European trophy anyway mm-hmm. so. oh, it was a great experience beautifully told alright if Scottish footballers could play like you explain things we'd be World Cup winners we've done a lot of laughing I'm going to finish off to just saying thanks it's no good to know you it's good to listen to you and it's good to share it's my first time my first bit of punditry but it's good to share football with somebody um, that feels about it like you do because it's how I feel about it too. I think it just it's brings important the, and funny. It brings the wee boy out, uh, inside you, doesn't it? And, and even and things like that, sitting with Mourinho and Seedorf and it's still correct. Like, but and, and we should. Not, I'm not ashamed of admitting that. I admit that's how I feel. Yeah. I'm lucky to be writing about football, talking about football, and it's out of the just still makes me as happy as a kid before Christmas. Of course. Just about any game. Aye. Of so course. is this. So is this. It's been a pleasure, Graham. Listen, the only way I can thank you probably saying uh, up the Celtic. <laughs> there you are. That's me done. money and transform your home with new appliances now at menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, maytag whirlpool amana and criterion upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at menards shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com save 